Well, I hope you guys have big plans for your Memorial Day weekend. Um, We always want to just take a moment, a pause, if you will, and remember what this day is all about. I've been seeing some things on Facebook this week, people just reminding us and putting photographs and things like that on there to remind us of the reason why we celebrate this day. This is a time of uh, memorial, really, um, for those that have passed that died in service to the country. And I'd like to ask you to, if there's anyone here, you have a relative that died in service, um, why don't you just stand up for us? Anybody at all? You have somebody that died in service? All right. A couple people have someone that died in service. Um, Just... uh, Continue to take this time this weekend and just remember those that have given us our freedom. Um, You know as well as I do that our freedoms are being chipped away at very subtly, and uh, we need to just be thankful for those that have gone before us and what they've done and how they've protected our nation and our freedoms. You know, um, whenever we think about war, we think about, you know, people dying and so forth. But one of the questions that always arises in this uh, especially maybe on this weekend, but it's not just because of war, but it's just because of people and the fighting and not being able to get along. And the question is why? Uh, why can't people get along? Uh, maybe you know somebody who's always just angry. They can't just get along with anybody. They're just prickly or whatever you want to call it, but they always are wanting to argue and fight and um, so forth. And maybe... Just maybe you are that way. Maybe you struggle with anger. You know, we look at the news and we see what's happening in the world and we see the conflict between the red states and the blue states and the Republicans and the Democrats and all of this. We see the abuse that takes place and all of the things that are going on in politics and we get angry over that. Maybe you get angry over religion because you try to get somebody to see things from your perspective, but yet all they do is make fun of you and that angers you. You get mad because somebody thinks that uh, the particular person is the greatest quarterback that ever lived or the greatest golfer that ever lived, and you disagree. So you get mad and fight over that. And then there's always marriage, the great battlefield. Um, You may be in a marriage where there's continual conflict and fighting and arguing and just has been going on for years and so forth. And then there's always the driving. You get mad because of the drivers on the road. I've told you before, that's my great weakness. Uh, I get mad at people because they don't get out of my way. But that's just me, and I've got to deal with it. But you know what? Anger comes naturally. Um, Our desire to fight, to seek revenge, to get even with people, that just comes naturally. But it seems like that for some people it has become a way of life. Uh, This is just continual for them. They're always upset, always angry, always... um, trying to put on a front that says to everybody around them, don't get near me or don't mess with me because I have a short fuse or a hot temper. And a lot of times I've learned that people just do that as a defense mechanism because they don't want to have to deal with people. But still, maybe in your marriage and relationships that you have had in the past or people that you know, that seems to be the case and there's always something going on uh, in the marriage and in the relationship. 
Now, sometimes anger can be a good thing because it, it motivates us to, to do something good. We see abuse or we see injustice, and we get angry about that, and we want to do something about it, and it results in us doing something good. So there are good things that come from anger. But as you look at Scripture, by and large, whenever you see Scripture talk about anger or uh, fighting or resentment, that sort of thing, it's never presented in a good light. It's not something good that you and I should seek out or endeavor to or pursue because, like I said, it's going to come naturally anyway, and we've got to learn to deal with it. Now, today, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you on the subject of why can't we get along? Why is it that we always want to fight with people and argue with people? And I'm talking about people in general, but I'm also talking about us specifically as believers. We often think of people that are outside the faith, that want to do that, and that characterizes their lives. But I can tell you from years of ministry and years of counseling with people, the Christians struggle with this. And you know that as well as I do, because you may be in a situation where you see it firsthand, where somebody in your family, your marriage, whatever, is struggling with resentment and anger and hostility, and maybe it has even come to fighting and, and that sort of thing. So I want to give you two answers to the question. Why is it that we do that? Why do we fight? Why do we argue? Why can't we get along? I want to give you two answers to that. And then at the end, I'm going to try to, I want to give you some action points or action steps that will help you that you can walk out of here with and begin to apply to your life and hopefully help you in some way. So here's the question. Why can't people get along? Why do we argue? Why do we fight? Why are we rude to each other? Why are we hateful? Why do we spread rumors? Why do we hold grudges? Why can't we forgive? Why do we do that to each other? In this particular passage, this is what James is addressing. Now I'm going to read you the passage. It's only six verses, James 4, 1 through 6. It originally had planned to do 10. I think in your bulletin it says through 10. I want to divide this up. So next week we'll cover those verses. And I'll tell you all about that next week. But I want to look at just these six verses today. So let me read through it and then we'll talk about this. James says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone that chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now, there's a lot in that little verse. And a lot of times we read through that and we don't quite understand what he's talking about, where he's coming from. So I want to unpack this for you today as we look at this. But here's the answers to the question. Why can't we get along? Why do we argue, fight, and fuss with each other? Now, don't think about the outside world. You think about yourself. You think about your relationships, your family, your church, your friends. And you answer this question. Because there will be, if there isn't already, a time in your life where you're going to struggle with this. 
where you're going to be angry, where you're going to want to fight, you're going to want to get even, you're going to want to talk about people behind their backs, all of the things that go with it. Why can't we do it? Why can't we get along? Here's the first answer. You can't get along because someone else has something that you want. Someone else has something that you want. Now you look at that and you think, wait a minute, that's pretty simplistic. You know, somebody has something I want. We're like children. You know, you've got a toy I want. Well, it's more, it's more complicated than that. Let me read you the verse or the verses. The first two verses of the passage. Let's go back and look at that. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's the question I'm asking. Why do we do this? Why do we get angry and fight and quarrel? He's asking the same question. And then he gives you the, the answer. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, your unmet needs, the things that you want, the things that you desire, that somebody else has the power or the ability, the wherewithal to give you, and they don't, and then you fight? Look at what he says in the next verse. You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Why is he saying that we do it? Because people have something that we want or need, and we're not getting it from them. They're not coming through for us. They're not giving what it is that we need, and therefore we decide to go after it. Now, you look at this and you kind of gloss over it because you think to yourself, well, that's not really the problem. But I'm going to tell you right now that in 99%, and I think 100%, but I'm allowing at least a little hedge there that maybe I might be wrong in some instance, but I think that at least in 99% of the problems that you have with other people, this is the issue. Because there's something you need or want, and you're not getting it. Now, let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Let's go all the way back before the creation of the world. When God is in heaven and there's war in heaven, Satan uh, goes and rebels against God. The Bible tells us he has a third of the angels that follow along with him. They're kicked out of heaven and you know the story. My question is this, why did Satan rebel against God? Why did Satan start a war with God? What did God have that Satan needed or wanted? Well, power, yeah. Power, authority. The very thing Satan jealously and enviously wanted, God had it and God wasn't giving it up. And so he went to war to get it, just like we do. Let's look back in the Bible at the Old Testament to Cain and Abel. First death on earth after the Garden of Eden. Cain kills Abel, the Bible tells us, bashes his head in with a stone, he's dead Question is, why? Why did Cain kill his brother Abel? Think about it. The answer is pretty simple. Because Abel had God's approval. He offered, according to what the Scripture said, a sacrifice that God accepted. Cain didn't. Cain's jealous. He wants the approval that his brother got, and therefore he killed him because he was jealous and envious. Now, that's just one situation there where that took place. Why do countries go to war? Why do countries battle? They've done it since creation of time. Why do they do it? 
Because one king or emperor or leader looks at another land and he says, I want that land. I want their wealth. I want the honor that it will bring me if I go conquer that land. That person, that king, that country has dishonored us and disgraced us in some way. I want satisfaction. They've got something I want and I'm going to go get it. So I fight to get it. Why do you fight with your siblings? Why do you not get along with your brothers and your sisters? A lot of times there are various reasons, but a lot of times it goes like this. I fight with my sibling because I want my parents' approval. They have it, I don't. I want it. So I resent it. And so I fight with them. My sister has more talent than I do, so I want to resent her for that. And I want to argue with her, and I'm jealous of her. She or he has all the good looks in the family, has all the brains in the family. And I'm envious of that. They have something I desire. This is what James says. Do your fighting and your quarreling, does it not come from the desires down deep inside that drive you to do this? You're wanting something that somebody else has and they're not giving it up or they don't have the ability or the wherewithal to give it up. Friends are the same way. You look at friends, they have a good family, have money. You want that. Did you ever grow up looking at another family because your family was in such disarray and, and such disorganization and, and it was a mess and you look at another family where they, they did things that, that you wanted desperately and you were so envious that you almost started resenting your friend because they had it and you didn't. I think we've probably, most of, a lot of people in here have gone through that. You could go on and on and on trying to give examples of why it is that you and I resent people or envious of people or angry at people and treat them this way and go to war with them sometimes. And it boils down to they've got something that I need or want. I want to tell you something, that it is so important that you come to realize what it is they've got that you want. You see, this is, this is where the psychology and the Bible come together. And what we're going to do here today is some group counseling. All right? Now, you can make the checks out to me personally. Drop them in the box as you go out the door. You know, for an hour or so, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a break. But we're going to do some group counseling. Because I'm telling you up front that if you are in disagreement with somebody, if you are in conflict with somebody, if you are battling with somebody, then it is imperative that you try to answer the real question. And that is this. What is the desire within me that I am trying to satisfy? Because that's what's driving me to act this way. And this is exactly what James is telling you. And I'm going to tell you something else, that until you come to realize that and admit it to yourself and to God, until that takes place, you will never fix the relationship because you will always feel that way. And so many times we don't even understand why we feel that way. We can't put our finger on it. We can't describe it. But if you'll stop and you'll begin to look at yourself and begin to really question yourself, why do I resent that person? Why am I so angry at that person? And what you're going to find is that it's going to come back to something that is lacking in your own life that you so desperately want. Just like James says here, the deep desires within you that are unsatisfied, unmet, 
they cause you to fight with other people around you. So one answer to the question, why we can't get along with each other, is because someone else has something that I want, so I go to war to get it. Now here's the second part of the answer, okay? The second uh, part of the same thing, and that is this. We battle with people because we try to get it our own way. We're trying to get what is lacking our way, and we can't do it, and it results in conflict with people. Um, I think that I can get it by forcing it from you. I can manipulate you. I can somehow get you to give me respect that I want. I can get you to honor me the way that I want. I can get you to give me something that I want if I just maneuver better or are more forceful. You see, we want to go about doing it our way, what we think is going to work. And it just blows up in our face. Now watch this. Go back to verse 2, this passage. Here it is. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now catch this last part. You do not have because you do not ask God. Hmm. All right. He's putting out there two different possibilities of dealing with the issue. You go about it the way you've always been going about it, doing it the way you want to do it, thinking to yourself that if you can get this person to do what you want to do or give you what you want, that you'll be satisfied. But you really won't. You know why? Because the need is still there. You're not satisfied. So he says, why don't you do this? He's talking to believers. He's going to listen. Why don't you do this instead? Why don't you begin to take this problem, this issue, this need? Why don't you go to the Lord with this and ask God that he might satisfy it for you? Why don't you trust that God can take care of this and deal with this and change your heart, change your needs, change your motives and everything else and somehow neutralize the situation rather than you continuing to go about it your your old way. Now see, we don't like that. We think that that somehow is just a putting a band-aid on a hemorrhage somehow. That that's not dealing with the problem. We're just covering it up. We're Christianizing it. We're basically trying to seek God's provision and direction for something that, that is desperately needed. Well, you know, we can make all kinds of excuses. But I can tell you from experience... And I can tell you from what I've observed and I can tell you from the Scripture that anger and fighting rarely changes anything for the better. Ever. I don't know why. I can't get people to see that when they come in to talk to me. Husbands and wives come in and they've almost begun to relish and enjoy the fighting. I don't know why. People think that somehow that's going to make things better. James is saying this. You've got a choice here. The need is, is real. What you want, what's motivating you is real. We all have them. Every human being has them. Every human being wants respect. They want admiration. They want security. They want all of these things. And we think to ourselves the best way to go about it is the way that we've seen or the way that we have observed and the way we've always done it. So we end up ruining the relationships in our lives because these people can't meet our needs. 
They can't give it to us. And God is saying, now, there's another way. Because the very thing that you need, that you're fighting to get, God can do it. And God and his power can give you what you need. But here's a problem you run into. Now watch this. And that is in verse 3. Watch. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. All right, now what would that look like? Here I am, I've decided to go to the Lord with this, and I'm going to pray about this, and I'm going to seek the Lord's provision, I'm going to seek the Lord's healing, I'm going to seek the Lord to give me what I need. And so I go to the Lord, and here's the difference in the way we approach the Lord. Okay, here's, let me show you. Dear God, please, change the relationship that I have with my children so that my children show me the respect that they ought to show their parent so that people don't think I'm a bad parent. Rather than praying for your children that they would grow up to be godly people and they need to respect authority, so help them to do that and help me to be the parent that teaches them to do that. No, it's all about me. Here's another one. Oh God, please help me to win this contest. Help me to be the, the best in school. Help me to be the prettiest in this contest, Lord. Help me to win so that I won't feel so bad about myself. Is that really legitimate? Your self-esteem issues are really the reason why you're praying to succeed, praying to win, praying to things to get better because of that. God says no. You're asking with wrong motives. It could go on and on. Respect, honor, whatever it is that you're needing. So the question then becomes, what's the solution? What is the solution? Well, part of it we've already talked about. He's saying you're going to have to go to the Lord with this instead of going around fighting to get it. All right, so I'm going to go to the Lord with this. And what's the solution? In a nutshell, this is it, okay? That I've got to learn to be content even if the other person never changes. Hmm. Somehow, I have got to learn to be content with me and with my relationship to the Lord. And even if my wife or my husband never change, even if my children never change, now we are praying that they do, but that's not the issue. I've got to stop relying on somebody else to meet my needs, to make me feel better, to change my heart. I've got to learn to be content with whatever God does and ever how God does it and the way He does it. And if that person never changes, I've got to learn to deal with and satisfy this desire in my heart another way outside of fighting. Listen to this verse. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. This is Paul talking. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now notice this. We, took, we looked at this verse a few weeks back, I think, when we were doing the videos. I am not saying this because I am in need, because I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now that's, that is powerful. Because Paul is saying, look, people still let me down. People still try to kill me. People turn their back on me. People are disloyal. People talk about me. 
People don't give me honor. They don't give me respect. But let me tell you something. I have learned through this whole process that I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances because I have stopped depending on other people to meet the desires in my heart. Now, guys, this is, this is so important, okay, because this is really the crux of the whole thing. There's nothing wrong with you wanting respect. There's nothing wrong with you wanting honor. There's nothing wrong with you um, wanting to be treated a certain way or shown kindness. There's nothing wrong with these things. It's the way we go about getting them that's the problem. And what the Bible's trying to teach us is that there's a better way that not only... It doesn't just deal with the relationship you're having with this particular person because if that's dealt with, there's going to be another person over here that you have the same problem with. So you've got to go within. You've got to go inside you and you've got to change something there. And only God can do that. That's what He's trying to get you to see. So rather than going and asking the Lord to straighten out you primarily, you're fighting over things that you shouldn't be fighting over. Now let me make a few statements here that may make your hair curl a little bit, but just listen carefully and take them to heart, okay? Number one, the people in your life cannot fix you. They can't. It's not fair to them. It's not fair that you should think or demand that anybody in your life can fix your problems or satisfy your needs. Now, guys, you know, we come together as believers in relationships like marriage and in the church and our families, and we minister to each other and we help each other, we encourage each other, and that's what we need to be doing. And those things go a long way, but those actions, will never satisfy the desire in your heart. And only God can fill that void. Only God can do that. You and I need to fix our own junk. We do. We've got to fix it ourselves. Between us and God, not between you and your spouse or you and your children or you and other people, you've got to fix it. And you and I have got to stop depending on people to make us happy. You can't do it because they're going to disappoint you every time. And it's not really fair to them. So you say to yourself, you come to the realization that, you know what? At my very core, I'm very insecure. And you come to that realization and you're willing to admit that. And you say to yourself, you know what? I'm insecure with my abilities. I'm insecure with, my, with love of, of the people in my life. I've got abandonment issues for whatever reason, maybe the way I was raised or maybe it's just my personality. But this is who I am. And I'm coming to you, Lord, and I'm asking that God, it's not just what happens between me and this person. It's what's happening in me and that needs to change. And so, Lord, I'm asking that I can be healed of this and that I can trust you and that, Lord, my abandonment, my problems, nobody else's, mine, can be taken from me and that I can be secure in you so that I don't have to depend on my wife to make me feel secure, my husband to make me feel secure. It's driving a wedge between us. But, Lord, I can be secure in you. Guys, the things that I'm telling you, we all struggle with from time to time. Insecurity, doubt, 
We all need affirmation. Everybody needs it. I don't care who you are. Everybody loves to hear somebody say, you did a great job, and to praise you. But there are people who are almost demanding it in your life because they feed on it. And they've begun to seek those things in ways that are ungodly. And until they find the satisfaction for that in the Lord, then they're going to continue. But you see, this is where you begin to come back into your, your relationship with the Lord and you begin to say, okay, Lord, I, I admit this. Lord, I, I'm facing this. I'm telling you that I'm a kind of person that just needs to be affirmed. I'm the kind of person that just needs to be told. Lord, I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm, I'm just admitting that's who I am. And it's as if the Spirit of God begins to say to you in a small, still voice, I affirm you. Your wife may not. Your husband may not. You may not ever get it at work. People may think you're a failure. But do you realize what I think of you? You're so special to me. You see, we look at that and we think to ourselves, that's not really true. And so we just discard it. Because nobody in our lives has ever done that for us. And so we have a tendency to turn away from God because we don't think, you know, that, that, that's just pie in the sky. And so we go out and we just ruin every relationship we've got trying to get somebody to tell us we're, we're good. And if I can learn that, in my relationship with the Lord, and if I can see who I really am and who, what God says I am in my identity in Christ, all of a sudden I stop chasing after it in every other relationship of my life. Respect. Man, everybody needs respect. People will come into my office for counseling husband and a wife, they're at, they're at war, you know. Why are you fighting? Because he leaves his socks on the floor and he won't pick them up. That was, you know, Deborah and I's big, big fight when we got, first got married. Um, um, he won't give me any money. He hoards all the money, this, that, and the other. What do you really say? What's the problem here? It's not the socks. It's not the money. It's not this. It's not that. What is it? Say it. I don't feel like he respects me. Bingo. There's your need. That's what you want. All this other stuff is just superficial. So now you've got to deal with this because that man you're married to may not ever show you that. I can't guarantee he's going to change. So what are you going to do? You need to find that somewhere else. It's not in the arms of another man, it's with the Lord. And as a child of God, you need to come to grips with this, that whatever my deep-seated needs are in this life, what I humanly want and hunger for, my God can give me, and no other person may not be able to, but God can. And when God gives it to me, it satisfies, as James says, the desires of my heart. I am content with who I am, and I can love you, even though you're not what I need you to be. Now, that doesn't excuse the spouse, okay? I'm not excusing bad behavior. 
I'm just saying, let's look at ourselves here and stop looking to other people to satisfy us. The list goes on and on. Love. We all need that. Do you understand? That's human nature. If you can't get it with people, if you grew up in a home where parents never loved you, if you went to a school where everybody laughed at you, if you're in a marriage where you don't only get respect, but you never hardly get loved, you don't feel loved and appreciated, that may never change. But until you come to grips with the fact that you are loved by the God of the universe, that changes everything. Acceptance, ciao. Goes on and on. And what you're lacking, God can give you. Because God says, I love you. You have no idea how much I love you. I accept you in spite of who you are, in spite of your sin, in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of everything you do. I accept you. No matter what you've done, I still, you are mine. You belong to me. I honor you. I lift you up above other people in the world and claim you as my own. I honor you. I approve of you. You're my child. You're in my family. And see, this is why I keep harping on your identity in Christ. That's not just theology, okay? Because when you come to grips with this and understand it and it really sinks in, it changes you. And you can let go of the fear. You can let go of all of the things that you struggle with in this life because none of this matters as much as it used to. And now I can love you even if you don't meet my needs. And rather than fighting with you, I can seek to help you. Because you see, my security now comes from someplace else other than you. That's healthy. That's biblical. That's what Christianity is all about. This relationship that we keep talking about. That I come to grips with that. Let me move on through the rest of the verses here. Because he's, he's, he's now trying to draw a, 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 a contrast or a distinction. Okay, this is the way most people handle these issues. This is how they do it. And this is how I want you to do it. And now he makes this comment. He says in verse 4, You adulterous people. Now he's not talking about sexual adultery here. That's not his point. He's talking about spiritual adultery. And I'll show you that in a moment. All through the Bible, it talks about spiritual adultery. Where God says to his people... I want to help you. I want to heal you. I want to change you. I want to transform you. And yet, you go out here into the world and you start doing things to try to meet your needs that I want to meet. And when you do that, he calls them adulterers because they have left him for something else. So this is what he's talking about here. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And what's he saying? He's talking to Christians. He says that when you try to do it the world's way, become their friend, listen to them, act like them, respond like them, then there's a wall between us. We got a problem. Because the things you're wanting, I will give you. And it's not going to be out there in the way that everybody else does it, the way you've been told. 
Verse 5, he says, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us? What does that mean? He's saying to these believers, I put my Spirit in you. My Spirit has the power to transform you. My Spirit can meet those needs down deep in your soul that you long for. My Spirit can, can fix it. And I long for you to let that happen. I long for you to let the Spirit of God change you. But you won't. You're out here trying to fight for it like everybody else because you think that's the way you get it. And it's not. Verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He gives us more grace. Now think about this. Here I am, Lord, and I desperately need love. I desperately need respect. I desperately need to feel like an important person. I, all these things that we feel, just admit it. Admit it. And God, here I am. I'm trying to get it my way. I'm trying to force my spouse to feel that need. I'm trying to force my children to feel that need. And I'm ruining things, Lord. That's humility. And God says when we do that, and here's what happens. It's like God says, I will give you more grace. I will give you more. Because it is my desire to heal you. It's my desire to change you. And if more of my grace is what you need right now, then I will give that to you if you come to me. But if you come here wanting superficial answers for deep spiritual problems just so you can feel better, I'm not doing that. That's why in verse 7, just the first part of verse 7 is all I want to read. He says, submit yourselves then to God. That's what you do. I read something this week as I was researching this, and you know it didn't come from me because it's kind of poetic. (laughs) But it says this. It says, A heart that beats to the rhythm of the world leads to enmity with God. Now, enmity is just conflict, a barrier. Something's between you. But he says that a heart that beats to the rhythm of the world, thinks like they think, acts like they act, that's the enemy of God. The things that you're doing to try to satisfy your needs are driving a wedge in your spiritual life. And the answer to this is you just turn this around. That I start looking for the satisfaction that I seek with my relationship to my God. That His Spirit can alter that. This Spirit can fill my heart with things that are different. And I've got to do that. God wants to control you. He wants to transform you. But guys, you've got to relinquish that control. You've got to seek it. You've got to stop saying basically all that stuff in the Scripture is just superficial. That's church stuff. And going out and trying to demand people give you what you want. You've got to stop it. You've got to relinquish control. And I can tell you honestly, 
that when you do, now listen, when you do, that the relationships in your life will change. It really will. And it'll get better. And the relationship that you have with other people will all of a sudden be different. It really will. Very quickly, I want to share with you three points, okay? Three things of application I want to challenge you with, and we're going to close it up, okay? Number one is this. Ask for the Lord to change you. I want you to, to hear me when I say that. You, you've got to ask for this. You've got to seek it. You've got to pursue it. The, you're not saying, now here's the important part, okay? Don't miss this. You're not coming to the Lord with a conflict between you and your spouse saying, Lord, change that person. That happens all the time. Lord, change that person. Now, we can pray for God to change our spouse naturally. But you're assuming they're the problem and they may not be. You're coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, don't just change my children. Lord, I need you to change the parent. And so I'm coming to you and I'm asking you to change me. I have sinful, selfish patterns, and I've never seen them before, but they're so obvious now. I'm trying to satisfy my own thirst, my spiritual need, in different ways. But Father, I pray, help me, change me. Number two is this, that you learn to walk in the Spirit and not the world that you learn the importance of walking and of relinquishing your control of your life to the Spirit of God. To say, in effect, Lord, nobody else may help me. Nobody may be there to give me what I want, and that's okay. Because you're enough. You're enough, Lord. And so I'm allowing, I'm asking, I'm pursuing this, and I want to walk in your Spirit, and I want to be patient, and I want to watch you change me and allow that to happen. You see, we want things instantaneously. Let me tell you, this statement I read this week just kind of rang true with me. Listen to what it says. It says that Satan rushes you, but God leads you. Think about that, okay? Because everything that we want, we want it right now our own way in our own time. That's satanic. God says, no, you step back and you trust me and you wait and you be patient. So you need to learn to walk in the Spirit and not in the world. You need to learn to ask God for the things that you desperately want and not try to get it your own way. That takes patience. So I'm asking you to be patient. And that brings me to number three, which is basically, I kind of jumped ahead, but be content with the process. Be content with the process. God is going to pour grace out on you. He really will. That's what it says in the text. He gives you more grace. But it's going to require you being honest with yourself and with God about what you need. And then admitting the things that you've done that are wrong in the sense that I have hurt my spouse, I have hurt my children, I have hurt this person because I have been selfish. And I have demanded of them something they could not give me. And that's not right. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I thank you for our identity in Christ. That simply because we've put our faith and trust in you, that, Father, your Holy Spirit has come into us and it has laid claim to us. 
We are different. We're not the same people. We just don't understand that. Father, may we learn about this identity that we have. May we learn who we really are and what you've done for us. Father, may we relinquish to you the needs that are in our heart. Father, we're tired of fighting. We're tired of trying. We're tired of trying to satisfy ourselves. Father, may we drink from your cistern. May we drink from your well rather than the waters of the world. So, Father, I ask that. I ask that for each and every one of us, that we would have the courage to admit the things that we need that we're ashamed to admit and admit that those things that we need so desperately have been a problem in our lives. It's the reason why we cheat, lie, steal, and everything else. But, Father, help us to step back and see that in you we can have it all. Heal us, Father, from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.